Jessica for a few years now. Lovely couple, and, and I sometimes consider these, these younger couples as almost like uh, sons and daughters in the faith. And I'm so proud of Rudy and his accomplishments and where he's going and, and persevering. I don't know if you know about this Ph.D. journey. It's a, per, it's a, it's a journey of perseverance and resilience, and uh, he's almost there. Uh, he's almost there. I just want you to encourage him to, to, to finish and to finish well. So uh, would you uh, welcome uh, today for our, our speaker this morning, uh, Reverend Rudy Estrada, to come proclamate the gospel. God bless you, church, this morning. I'm happy to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm also glad to be worshiping with you, um, with my wife, Jessica, who's over there. Um, she's with me. She's my partner in crime or partner in ministry. <laughs> but we've been married for about 15 years. We actually met at LABI. And so, so Latin, they don't call it Latin American Bridal Institute for nothing, right? <laughs> so met at LABI. Uh, Going to be married for 15 years. Um, this upcoming February. So very thankful for the Lord for the journey. She's been with me ever since I first started school. Uh, when I was an undergraduate student, um, she was with me. We graduated both together. Uh, she finished her business um, degree. And then she went with me to North Carolina, where I studied at Duke University. And we lived there in North Carolina for some time. Um, and then she came back with me. And so... <laughs> so praise the Lord for that. <laughs> uh, and I'm um, really thankful. But right now she's actually also finishing her or working on her master's degree in, in business administration, business administration, um, is business management, excuse me, at APU as well. But today I'm going to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. And if there is a title for this sermon, it would be the story of the Spirit. One of the questions we may ask ourselves is, what is the Holy Spirit? In theological discussions, this topic is called pneumatology, a word that comes from the Greek term pneuma. The word spirit is a translation of this Greek word pneuma. But sometimes this Greek word pneuma that comes out as spirit within our Bibles, it actually could be translated as wind. Or breath. And so the Spirit of God is akin to the breath of God. Metaphorically, it is the wind of God. But most importantly, to speak of the Spirit is to speak about the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of God that is presently amongst us in a divine manner. But our understanding of the Spirit has not always been so. It has matured throughout the centuries, throughout the discussions and debates within the early church. We have in the 3rd and the 4th century, the early church struggling to know if the, the Spirit was fully divine or if it was just a manifestation of God's divine power. When some doubted the role of the Spirit as a distinct person within the Trinity, it was St. Basil of Caesarea 
in the fourth century who helped the church realize that the Spirit is intimately bound in all eternity with the Father and the Son. Basel states, Every divine action begins from the Father, proceeds through the Son, and is completed in the Holy Spirit. Then, in 381, in the 4th century, we have this thing called a council. The Council of Constantinople. They proclaim the full deity of the Holy Spirit in this creed that we now, as bearers of the tradition, of the Christian tradition, this creed that we proclaim and in which we move and operate in and place our faith in. The creed states this. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. While this brief orientation helps kind of situate our understanding of the Spirit, what do we as Pentecostals mean when we talk about the Spirit's? As Pentecostals, we are the people of the Spirit. We believe that God's divine presence is made manifest through God's Spirit since Pentecost. We believe that in the same way that the Spirit moved and operated and was amongst the apostles, the Spirit still moves today. That is why we as Pentecostals, we believe in miracles. We believe in the divine activities of God. Because the Spirit of God which moved in that apostolic age is the same Spirit that moves in our churches today. But this notion of the Spirit of God within the history of the church, within the history of humanity, it didn't always interact in the same manner. It's not always been this way. We live in the age of the Spirit because of Pentecost. We live in the realm of the Spirit because of Pentecost. But how we experience the Spirit of God today was not the norm, believe it or not. How we experience the Spirit today is a part of a long story that has emerged sporadically here and there, the story of the Spirit temporarily upon people, one or two. But now it's a story that is finding its completion in our lives today. To think about it plainly, the story of the Spirit is really a story of God's divine breath, desiring to be with us, desiring to be upon us, and desiring to work through us. The story of the Spirit is a story of the divine breath of God moving upon women and men in history. The story of the Spirit is a story of the Spirit wanting to be with you and with me. But we can't tell this story until we go to the very beginning, 
to when we see when the Spirit was first appeared. And you'll notice this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a Spirit of God swept over the face of the waters. You have the Spirit of God moving and active in creation before the first human being appeared on earth. The Spirit of God was already here. In Psalms 104.30, the writer states, When God sends forth His Spirit, they are created. In Psalms 33.6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all of their hosts. By the Spirit of God. And Paul reminds us that the Spirit of God groans with creation until the creation's final renewal. The Spirit of God is active in the world way before humanity first appeared on earth. The Spirit of God is involved in creation. The Spirit of God is present in the void. Where there is darkness upon the water, the Spirit of God is there. When life seems barren and absent, the Spirit of God is there. The Spirit is there. When things do not have shape, when things are unrecognizable, the Spirit is there. The Spirit is always amongst God's creation. From its embryonic state to its final redemption, the Spirit is there. There is no place in the cosmos where God's spirit is not present. David asked, where can I go, O Lord, from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The spirit hovers upon the waters, upon creation, and it desires to hover upon you. There is no place in the cosmos where God's spirit is not there. And this also means that the earth and the celestial heavens are the places where God's spirit is found. And since the spirit is involved in the creation, this also means that we, we participate in the work of the spirit in our activity and concern and care for the environment. We participate in the work of the Spirit through the sciences, through the, through the preservations, through the care and the nurturing of the earth. The scientists and the biologists are doing the work of the Spirit when they study creation. They're watching and learning and seeing what God has been doing in the renewal of God's earth. Before Al Gore, before climate change, the Spirit was there and was already concerned about the earth. The Spirit of God hovered upon the waters. But just as the Spirit of God fills, moves, and creates the universe, the Spirit of God also seeks to fill, move, and create within humanity a life in God. A life led by the Spirit. The Spirit, although it fills the cosmos, also desires to fill your heart. To be within us. 
That there once was a time in which the Spirit of God was known to be present with humanity, but for a little while. When God created Adam, God formed the first human from the dirt, from the elements of the ground. God fashioned Adam from the earth and its minerals. And as God shaped, pulled, formed, and molded Adam, you find within the biblical text that God breathes upon Adam. His divine breath, his spirit, and there was life. God breathes his spirit, his divine ruach, his divine wind, which filled Adam's lungs and enabled him to have life. If you could imagine, the first breath of humanity was the, a breath that was full of God's spirits. Every day that Adam lived, Adam lived with the spirit of God. It was within his lungs. Adam lived because he had God's breath within him. He was the first human who was full of the Spirit. And we can see that the Spirit not only brings life to creation, but the Spirit brought life to Adam and it fills our bodies. This divine breath that moves and fills not only the cosmos, but fills the spiritual lungs of humanity. Where their spirit is, there is life. This life-giving presence. Life is the very nature of the spirit. Death is antithetical to the divine identity of the spirit. Death is the result of us turning towards sin. It's the result of us turning away from the spirit of God. When we turn towards God, when we turn towards the Spirit, we turn towards life. But after the beginning, Adam did not follow God's commands. And so and chose instead to disobey. He sinned against God's will. And we see this story of, of our first human, the first, our first parent, our, the first human being upon the earth who was filled with God's spirit, turned away from that divine breath that was within its lungs. And so by turning away from God and turning towards sin, by turning away from the spirit of life, he turned towards death. To turn away from God's spirit is turn away from the life that the Spirit brings. We hear for the first time after the creation of Adam and his disobedience, God saying in Genesis 6, My spirit will not stay in man forever, for he is flesh. God realized that although humanity was created with the capacity to be full of God's Spirit, we turned away from this life. And so the story of the Spirit is a story of God desiring to breathe back into humanity his life. But not like the way it was before. The story of the Spirit is a story of God's Spirit falling upon humanity in a new way. The Spirit is coming. After Adam the next person that we hear within the biblical literature to have the Spirit is by the man named Joseph. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, Pharaoh states, 
can we find a man as this in whom the Spirit is God? The answer was no. God's Spirit was not upon all people after Adam. But God filled Joseph with his Spirit to interpret dreams. Then after Adam, the Spirit was upon people for for a limited time and in a limited way. Moses, we know, uh, was used by God to set the Israelites free. But he was also a man who died and also had the Spirit for a limited time. But God's desire was that all people had God's Spirit. In Numbers 11, here God, he tells Moses, he says, Moses, bring 70 elders before the tabernacle. And when they're brought before the tabernacle, God took the spirit that was on Moses and placed it upon 70, but only 70. They began to prophesy in the camp. And then one who didn't have the spirit came up to Moses and was upset. He's like, look, they're all prophesying. And so Moses turns to him and he's like, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon all? The truth is that not all were prophets. Not all had the spirit. But God was still moving. He started with one man, Adam. He gave Joseph the spirit to interpret dreams. He placed the spirit upon Moses, the spirit that was upon him. And then now God was moving to put the spirit upon many, upon these 70. God wanted to put his spirit upon all humanity. And so we see within the biblical narrative, God desiring to breathe life upon everyone. Then we find the spirit. It fell upon the judge, Othaniel, to lead Israel to victory for 40 years. The spirit fell upon Gideon when he was led to to destroy the altars of the false gods. The spirit fell upon Samson to tear apart the lions, to give him strength in battle, and to overcome the Philistines. But Othaniel, Gideon, Samson, they were all still men, and they all died. They were used by God to guide guide Israel, but they still faltered. And just like King Saul, who had the Spirit of God, he only had it for a little limited time. Just like the Spirit of God was upon Elisha, and it went to Elisha, it was only upon these select few. And we find throughout the biblical literature more stories of people who were empowered to lead. They were empowered with the Spirit to serve. They were empowered like Daniel to to have insights and interpret dreams. They were empowered to do great things for God. But all of them within Scripture, we notice that they only had the Spirit for a short time. They died. Like all others before him, they died and the spirit departed from them after they completed their mission. But the spirit was not done with humanity. This same breath that first breathed into Adam's lung was still on a mission to fill all of humanity. And so although God's people turned to death and away from life, God was not content with only a few people having the Spirit. 
The story of the Spirit is the story of God's divine breath wishing and desiring to breathe upon us. God's Spirit. Spirit of life. And so God spoke to the prophets. He talked to the prophets and he told them of a new time. There is coming a new day. A new day in which God will remove the heart of stone and take away all of these limitations that are hindering the outpouring of the Spirit. Where God will take away this this formless void within our hearts and give us a new spirit. And so we hear the prophet Ezekiel. He proclaims a new heart. I will give you a new spirit I will put within you. I will take out your flesh from your flesh, the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then we have Joel prophesying about the last days in which God will pour his spirit upon all mankind. And the sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour my spirit in those days. The day is coming and is now here in which the spirit pours upon all people, both men and women, old and young, the spirit of God pouring upon all flesh, indiscriminately pouring upon his people. The spirit, Joel and Ezekiel, they prophesied about this day. God's spirit that was first given to Adam and lost. God's spirit didn't go away. The story of God, the story of the spirit, is a story of God filling the cosmos with his presence, but yet desiring to fill our bodies with his spirit. This spirit of God is a story of God's divine wind seeking to be experienced and felt by all, universally, permanently, and powerfully. Long ago, it was used for specific times on specific people, but now the Messiah has come. Now this promised son of God was born, and now the promised Christ has come into the world with the anointed spirit. Jesus, as the son of God, bears the spirit and brings it to all of humanity. And so when we turn to the gospel stories, and even when we think about Christmas, we see the divine spirit active and involved in the birth of Christ. The Spirit hovers upon Mary's body, to, to hovers upon Jesus' baby body. And you see the Spirit involved in the birth of Christ. And so when Jesus first appears in the wilderness, John the Baptist says, I have seen the Spirit of God descend upon him. And this man, this Christ is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. In John chapter 1, you have the the Pharisaic religious leaders, the priests and the Levites. 
They're going out to the wilderness to find out what John the Baptist is doing. But now John tells them, look, who you need to really be concerned about is someone who stands within your midst. Someone who has the spirit. Jesus is here with the spirit. And John the Baptist says that this Jesus is the one who will baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And so then we find in John 3, when Jesus emerges on the scene with the Spirit, he talks to Nicodemus. And this conversation discusses and it focuses on the entrance requirements of coming into the kingdom of God. Now, you keep in mind, Nicodemus approaches Jesus in the night. Nicodemus tells Jesus, he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, we know that you are from God. Rabbi, for no one could do the things that you do unless God was with you. See, Nicodemus wanted to talk about miracles. But Jesus said, let me tell you something else, Nicodemus. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you are born again of the Spirit. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He asks, how can I, an old man, be born again? And Jesus tells him, look, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. What does this mean within his terms, within his context? This means that no matter how accurately you follow the law, that will not get you into the kingdom of God. No matter how wealthy or how prestigious you are as the ruler of the Jews, your academic pedigree won't get you into the kingdom of God. No matter how privileged you are within aristocracy, that will not get you into the kingdom of God. The only thing that will get us into the kingdom of God is being born of the Spirit. And this also means that since the Spirit gives birth to us all, the Spirit is the one only divine God who can discriminate against those who could enter and not enter into the kingdom of God. It is the Spirit that now determines our membership status. Not our citizenship, not our residency papers, It's the Spirit of God that now defines us as members of this new kingdom. Here you have Jesus talking to Nicodemus, to those who were having difficulties and debating the the boundaries and limitations of all those new converts. The Spirit of God is now the one who verifies and incorporates people into the family of God. All ethnic privileges, notions of superiority are destabilized. Questionable ancestry is made insignificant. People from diverse ethnic backgrounds are now bound together by the coming birthing activity of the Spirit. It is a Spirit that gives birth to the people of God and those who are members of this kingdom. Yet, But we also find Jesus wasn't done with just Nicodemus. Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman, she comes and she talks to Jesus at the well. And she says, look, you Jews say that we must worship in Jerusalem. But my father say that we worship in Mount Gerizim. When she brings this discussion to the table, it's not just about worship. It's about the memory of violence between Samaritans and Jews. She brings to the discussion the history of tension and conflict between the Jews and Samaritans. She reminds Jesus 
that the Jews had kicked out the Samaritans from Jerusalem. She reminds Jesus that the Samaritans needed to construct their own temple because they weren't concluded within the worship of God. But Jesus says, do not worry, there is now coming a day in which the Father seeks worshipers, those who worship in the Spirit. Which means now we are able to worship God, not in Jerusalem or in Samaria, but here within our homes, within our cars, at work, at school. We could worship the Spirit because God is accessible to all people. Jesus talks to the people about the Spirit. And I know I'm short on my time. This last passage is really important. I can't miss. You have the, the people following Jesus around, chasing him around Galilee. He provides a miraculous multi- multiplication of bread. He, he, he feeds 5,000. He leaves. He escapes. He walks over water, but yet they still find him. And the crowds, they approach Jesus, and they say, when did you get here? And he's, Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that gives you eternal life. They don't understand this. And they say, our fathers gave us bread. You, what can you provide? And Jesus says, it is not your fathers that gave you bread, but it is my father that has given you bread. While they were concerned about the material substance. They were debating, who do you think you are? We know who your father is. Your father's Joseph. We know where he lives. While they were questioning his identity, this discussion and this debate, it started to trickle into the disciples. And so at the end of John chapter 60, verses 60 to 66, you find Jesus seeing the disciples grumbling and debating with each other about Jesus and, and bread and flesh. And Jesus says, hey, it is, not, it is not the flesh that will give you life. It is the Spirit of God that gives you life. The flesh profits nothing. In other words, stop being concerned about your material substance. Stop being concerned about who Jesus is, whether or not his father is Joseph or he's the divine son of God. It is the Spirit of God that will give us life. It is the Spirit of God that feeds our souls It is the Spirit of God that brings satisfaction to our hearts. This Spirit is a Spirit that Jesus now gives. And so when he's before the temple and he says, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. The narrator says that he said this about the Holy Spirit. In John 7, 39, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit who will come to put their trust in him. The Holy Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been raised from the place of honor. Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive, Jesus has granted us the Spirit of God. He has dispensed the Spirit. It is the Spirit that Jesus now gives. It is the Spirit that satisfies our heart. And in a prelude to Pentecost, we see Jesus standing in the temple, inviting all people to drink from him and receive the Spirit. May you stand. This same Jesus.
this same Jesus who lived and walked amongst the Jewish people. We find that after the death of the cross, his death on the cross, he rose on the third day and he appeared to the disciples. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22, we read that the followers had gathered together with the doors locked because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood amongst them. He said, may you have peace. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the followers saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. And then Jesus told them again, have peace. Church of the Redeemer, don't be afraid. Have peace. And then Jesus tells the disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And when Jesus said this, he breathed on him and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave the apostles the Spirit, baptized them in the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God also baptizes us today. The Spirit is given to us so that we will no longer be afraid. The Spirit is given to us so that we will go out into the dark places of this world. The Spirit is given to us, placed upon our hearts. In the same way that the Spirit hovered upon the waters, the Spirit now hovers within our souls. This same spirit that filled Adam's lungs is the same spirit that is now breathed within our spiritual lungs that gives us life. We're able to live again. We're able to breathe again. And we know that we are born again because we are at this spirit. Turn to life. Turn to this new birth. Be filled with God's Spirit and know that He has promised you life. The story of the Spirit is a story of God desiring to be with us. In the name of Jesus, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Breathe into our hearts, O Lord. All those areas, Father, that are dark and formless, breathe your life. Place upon us, Father, a new spirit. Renew our hearts and our minds. Fill us with your divine power. Fill us, O oh Father, with your gifts of your spirit. Breathe life into our bodies. Breathe life into our problems. Breathe life into our families. Breathe life upon us, O oh Lord. Renew us, Father, with your spirit as you renew the creation and the morning dew each day. Renew us, O oh Lord God, with your spirit. Renew us and fill us with your divine presence. In the name of Jesus, amen.